Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is the podcast dedicated and bringing you the best of horror and thriller old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and I'm hoping you all had an enjoyable Christmas day, and I hope you all have a safe but fun New Year's Eve. Now, I was going to do the whole spiel of, now, I'm not sure if I'm going to post a bonus episode on New... You know I'm going to. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but look forward to that. <laughs> so, tonight's episode is entitled Creepy Conversations and Clout. Now, Keith, what does that mean? Well, our first radio play, can I describe it as horrifying? No, but the conversation... That occurs between the protagonist and a laundromat. Yes, a laundromat is a bit eerie, if not off-putting. Especially when you (laughs) discover the heinous acts both have performed. Following that is a radio play that I personally think deals with clout. Which is defined as influence and power. Meaning, one of the protagonists knows the dangers of dealing with a vengeful, a vengeful spirit, but still wants the notoriety, and believe you me, <laughs> it blows up in his face. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio series highlighted tonight are Theater 1030 and The Mystery Project. Now, a quick history rundown on both shows. Theater 1030. Wasn't able to find out much about this, other than that it was a Canadian series dealing with the horror and fantasy genre that ran from 1968 to 1971. The radio play tonight is entitled Thing in the Hall. And I think it was first broadcasted in 1968. (laughs) following that is the mystery project which was an anthology series that ran on the cbc canadian broadcasting corporation from 1992 to to 2002 it was created by executive producer bill howell and the coordinating producer was barry morgan the radio play tonight is called a cry almost a scream and I wasn't able to find a date on the first broadcasting of this story so you know the drill sit back turn down the lights and listen to thing in the hall followed by a cry almost a scream Time to tell tales of the unaccountable, of apparitions by night and phantoms in shadow. Time to tell strange stories of fantasy 
and the supernatural. Theater 1030 presents The Thing in the Hall, a tale of the supernatural by E.F. Benson, in radio version by Alan King, and starring Chris Wiggins as Dr. Ashton and Henry Comer as Dr. Fielder. I, Francis Ashton, am quite certain as a brain specialist that I am completely sane and that these things happened not merely in my imagination, but in the external world. If I had to give evidence again about Louis Fielder, I should be compelled to take a different line. Please put that down at the end of your account, or at the beginning if it arranges itself better. So. Now, Mr. Sayers, what is it exactly you want to do? I want to read to you, Inspector, the complete statement which I took down from Dr. Ashton's dictation. Well, can't you just tell me briefly what it says? I'm afraid not. I know at a moment like this you don't want to waste time, Inspector, but if you'll give me half an hour, I think I can give you a full explanation of what has happened. <laughs> and it's no good handing you the statement to take away because my handwriting is atrocious. Very well, then, Mr. Sayers, go ahead. Now, I would like a little information first. Uh, you live in this street, too, do you? Uh, yes, about six houses down from here. Mm -hmm. Friend of Dr. Ashton? Yes, and Dr. Fielder lived on the same street. He was a friend of Dr. Ashton, too. Oh, yes, I was at the inquest just last week. Suicide. Yes, that was the verdict. Dr. Ashton gave evidence at the inquest. Had he and Dr. Fielder been friends long? Oh, they studied medicine together. Uh, Dr. Ashton specialized in diseases of the brain. You might say that Dr. Fielder specialized in everything. He was intensely interested in every branch of medicine. When Dr. Ashton came back to London after five years of study in Paris, he and Dr. Fielder resumed their close friendship. After I returned from Paris, where I had studied under Charcot, I set up practice at home. The general doctrine of hypnotism, suggestion and cure by such means had been accepted even in London by this time. And owing to a few papers I had written on the subject, together with my foreign diplomas, I found that I was a busy man almost as soon as I had arrived in town. Louis Fielder insisted that I take the vacant house next to his in what he called Chloroform Square. <laughs> oh, Louis, I don't know how I did without you for five years. You positively feed my brain. What about all those learned men in Paris? Chaco, for instance. Ah, they crammed it full of knowledge, but you feed it with ideas so that it can go on growing. <laughs> you know, I have a theory about that. Tell me. I believe that people who are ill are ill because their brain is starving. That's interesting. Go on. Oh, because their brain is starving, their body rebels. And becomes diseased. Yeah, I believe so. But they get lumbago or cancer or anything else. I believe that all bodily disease springs from the brain. Now, if the brain is fed and rested and exercised properly, the body will remain healthy and immune from all disease. And if the brain is affected, medicines are useless. Absolutely. Uh, you might as well pour them down the sink. Unless your patient believes in them. That is an important limitation. Ah, here we have suggestion again. Now, tell me, could you cure a patient by feeding him water and hypnotizing him into believing it was an unfailing cure? Theoretically, I think it might be quite possible. It's all right, old man. Don't jump. It startled me. 
You really ought to muffle your knocker, at least during meals. <laughs> there isn't a knocker. There isn't? You were startled a week ago and said the same thing, remember? So I took the knocker off. Did, then what? You did hear a knock, didn't you? Well, didn't you? Oh, certainly. But it wasn't a caller. It was the thing. On that absurd remark, I rose to my feet and went to the door. And there was no one there. No one even nearby in the street. I shut the door and came back to the table. There was no one there. I know, I told you. I said it was the thing. Well, what are you talking about? Well, I don't know what the thing is. That's what makes it so interesting. Oh, come now, Louis. You're not suggesting it's a spirit knocking? I say I don't know what it is. But we have to find an explanation. Now, you tell me why it can't be a spirit. Oh, the whole idea of the influence of spirits on our lives has exploded, Louis. It, it's so easy for a hypnotist to understand how brain can act on brain. That's how he affects his cures. And surely anyone can understand that a strong mind can direct a weak one, just as a strong body can overcome a weak one. And the only mental influence you will admit is from a brain in a living human body. <laughs> well, of course. Tell me, have you ever tried table tapping? No, and I've never tried violet leaves as a cure for cancer. Will you take part in an experiment? If you like. You see, you don't understand what made that knock you heard. I want to see if I can bring you near to an explanation. By table tapping? Help me clear the table and you'll see. Mm. Uh, you have a servant here, haven't you? Couldn't he have hammered at something? I've um, heard the knock when he's been out. Uh, tell me, does your spirit uh, perform in the prescribed fashion one knock for yes and two for no? I won't even agree that it's trying to speak to me. But uh, you'll see. Now, there, everything's off. Uh, sit down there, opposite me. Oh, oh, all right. Now, first of all, try the weight of the table. See if you can push it about. I can just move it. It's very heavy. Solid mahogany. Mm. It would take the two of us to lift it. Now, put your hands on the top of it and see what you can do. Yeah. Well, nothing, obviously. Now, of course, what we're going to do won't prove anything. You won't mean to push and neither will I, but we shall push and without meaning well, to... Well, let's both put our fingers only on the top of the table and push for all we're worth. From right to left. Mm, all right. There. You see? It doesn't move. What was that? <laughs> Same as before. The thing. No, oh, rot. I don't believe it. All right. But I tell you, I've been studying rank spiritualism on and off for five years. And I haven't told you before because... I wanted to lay before you certain phenomena which I can't explain, but which now seem to me to be at my command. You shall see and hear, and then decide if you will help me. Mm. And in order to let me see better, you're proposing to put out the lights? Uh, yes, and uh, you will see why. Uh, I am here as a skeptic. Step away, friend. 
Now, that's as dark as I can make the room. The glow from the fire in the grate won't matter. Put your hands on the table. Now, quite lightly. And, how shall I say it? Expect. Still protesting in spirit, I expected. I could hear Louis breathing rather quickened. And it seemed to me odd that anybody could sit in the dark at a large mahogany table expecting. Through my fingertips, laid lightly on the table, there began to come a faint vibration. Like nothing so much as the vibration through the handle of a kettle when water is beginning to boil inside it. And gradually, it got more pronounced and violent till it was like the throbbing of a motor car. It seemed to give off a low humming note. Then, quite suddenly, the table seemed to slip from under my fingers and begin very slowly to move. Stand up, Frank. Keep your hands on the table and move with it. It seems to be revolving. Yes. Keep circling with it. Are you there? Are you there? Uh, the table stopped moving. And... Louis! Well, what's that light? I see it moving across the table. Like, like a firefly. There's another. And another. Shh, shh. All stopped. Yes. The lights, the sound, everything. What do you think of it all, Frank? Uh, uh, well, it's all stock stuff, isn't it? In other words, you believe that all you saw and heard tonight was only suggested to you. All these things you've seen existed only in my brain. Yes, I do. And what is uh, your explanation? <laughs> Mine is that the thing was trying to communicate with us. It was the thing that moved the table and tapped and made us see the little lights. Yes, but what is the thing? What is it? A spirit? Who's No, no, no. I don't know, as I told you, what the thing is. But I believe it to be an elemental. And what exactly is an elemental? There are good things in this world and bad things, right? Honesty is good, lying is bad. Mm. Impulses of some sort direct both sides. And some power suggests the impulses. Well, I went into this spiritualistic business impartially. I learned to expect to throw open the door into the soul. And I said, anyone may come in. Ah, and so you made yourself receptive to any imaginings. I think something has applied for admission. The thing and turned the table and sent lights across it, as you saw. Now, in my theory, the control of the evil principles in the world is in the hands of a power which entrusts its errands to the things I call elementals. Mm. That is only your theory. Oh, they've been seen. I'm sure they'll be seen again. I did not, and I do not, ask good spirits only to come in. Nor do I want an elemental. 
I only threw open a door. I believe the thing has come into my house, and it is it, it, it's establishing communication with me. I want to find out. What is it? In the name of Satan, if necessary. What is it? What was that? Something blew a page of music off the piano at the other end of the room. It's a current of air. It's coming towards us. Look. It's ruffling those daffodils. And these candles. I, I can feel it myself now. It's cold. On me now. Look. Now. The fire. See the flames. Funny, wasn't it? <clears throat> uh, has the elemental gone up the chimney? Oh, no, no, no. The thing only passed us. It only... Frank, what's that? Look, there, on the wall. Huh? I see it. It's it, like a, sh a shadow. The shadow of an enormous slug. See, at one end, a sort of head... There's a lolling tongue out of the mouth. It's moving slowly. No. No, it's... Ah, it's fading. It's going away. I said I was ready for any... any visitor to come in. What a beauty. Even then, I was still convinced that I was only taking observations of a most curious case of disordered brain, accompanied by the most vivid and remarkable thought transference. And when after six months of constant watching, the thing did not appear to us again, I began to feel that we were really wasting time. However, as a last resort, I suggested that we get in a so-called medium, induce hypnotic sleep, and see if we could learn anything further. As before, we sat round the dining room table, Louis and I, and Cyril Miles, the young medium. The room was not quite dark, so that I could see quite clearly what happened. The first step was to put young Miles into a light hypnotic sleep, which I did with ease. experiment. As I told you, I don't... Hank. It's here again. It's with us. Well, we want more than rats. We... Louis, look! I see it. I see it. To slide across the table. Its shape is clearer this time, Louis. It's luminous all the way along. Look now. Peering up before the medium. Waving its head in front of him like a... Frank, look. Is he awake? Can he see it? No, 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 no. He's asleep. But his face, I never saw such terror. He must see it. No, I tell you, he'll sleep till I wake him. This is... Frank, it's got him. Well, quick, get hold of it. I, I, I can't. I, 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 I
time. It does nothing to hold on to. Frank, we've got to him. Kill him. Now we get our hands on the dead. Wait, wait. I know. The lights. Turn on the lights. Lights. It's gone. Amelia. On the floor, Frank. Is he dead? I don't know. Help me up with him. Here, into the chair. That's it. Frank. Look at his throat. Those marks, see? Two little punctures. They're bleeding slightly. I'll see if I can wake him. Nothing uh, unusual. You wrestled with something while you were asleep and sustained a scratch or two, that's all. Oh, I see. I'll, uh, I'll call a cab. I think you'd better go home and rest. Uh, Dr. Fielder will attend to the scratches on your throat. The scratches on his throat? Oh, if I had known that night what was to happen later. I lay awake thinking... The elemental had been there in a form that could be seen and felt. But, I told myself, it was only a thing of twilight. The sudden kindling of the light had shown us there was nothing there. In the struggle, perhaps the medium had clutched his own throat. Perhaps I had grasped Louis' sleep. Perhaps he had grasped mine. But, though I said these things to myself, I'm not sure that I believe them in the same way that I believe the sun will rise tomorrow. I was so busy with my practice that it was a week before I saw Louis again. I brought news that I expected would shock him. But it was I who received the greater shock. I thought I noticed a change in his appearance, but it was not until I had announced my news that the full realization came upon me. Have I seen the evening paper? No. What does it say? It's about Cyril Miles, our young medium. He died this morning. Of blood poisoning. Good. Louis. I say good. We have our proof now, haven't we? Our elemental is no longer a thing of our imagination. It exists. It has power. And this is the proof. Our elemental? It's no thing of mine. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. We've both seen it. Oh, did we imagine those marks on Cyril Miles' throat? Did we imagine his dead? Oh, he died from blood poisoning. He, he may have uh, come anyhow by those scratches. But blood you poison. know that isn't true. Frank, look at me. Look into my eyes. Now, tell me you don't believe. Louis, tell me. Oh, God help you, Louis. God help us both. What do I need with 
God's help. I have a power on my side now that no man has ever had before. Think of it, Frank. Those two elemental forces that have striven through the centuries for the mastery of the world, good and evil, and from the depths of hell, I have summoned up the element of evil. Mine is the power and the mastery. I fled from Louis Fields' house, his mocking laughter ringing in my ears till I'd enter my own front door. And at that moment, I wished myself on the other side of London, no longer neighbor to the creature that Louis had become. After that, I avoided him as much as I could. But it was not always possible. Several weeks after the last meeting I've described, I was just turning into my house late one night when I was startled by a terrified screaming from his house. And in spite of myself, I rushed to the door and finding it open, I ran in. And the sounds had stopped by the time I found him. Louis! Louis! Louis, what's the matter? What's been happening? You heard, did you? What did you think it was? My elemental got out of control. Louis, what, <laughs> what were those screams? What? Oh, good heavens. Now you see it. A moment too late. I couldn't prolong its death any further. The cat. Louis, what have you done? Material for a scientific paper, my dear doctor. Trying to get to the bottom of the ridiculous myth that a cat has nine lives. Are you out of your mind? Nine lives. <laughs> Silly, isn't it? There are grounds for the belief, though. I proved that. A cat hangs off, Frank, hangs off, hates to give up. I was trying to see how much pain it could stand before it would give itself up to death. Torture! Isn't, isn't that what cats do with mice? The cat and mouse game, Frank. Only I was the cat, <laughs> and my cat was the mouse. <laughs> Only fair, isn't it? Does a cat and a mouse horrify you? Then why should I? Louis. The power, Frank. More than ever, I tried to avoid him. But it was hard to forget. I thought of moving, but something held me to that place. I knew that sometime, something had to be resolved. But before the end came, I spent one more evening with Louis. Strange stories had begun to come to me. Stories of his depravity in all branches of his life and morals. It was becoming a matter of common knowledge. I would shudder as I passed his house, expecting I knew not what fiendish thing to be looking at me from the window. And then, one night, as I came home and entered my living room, there he was, seated in a comfortable chair, grinning evilly at me as I stood in the doorway. Come in, come in. Make yourself at home. Louis. It's all right. I didn't break in. Your housekeeper admitted me. Oh. Aren't you going to sit down? <clears throat> yes, of course. As a, a matter of fact, now that you're here, there is something I want to say to you. Good. Good. Fire away. Well, I won't be subtle. I've heard things, Louis. Everywhere in town there's talk of you. 
Your behavior has become a scandal. People come to me with stories knowing we're friends. <laughs> I tried to turn them aside. You tell them anything. <laughs> Louis, won't you let me help you? It's not you that's doing all these things. You're possessed. You're mentally ill. I could help you, Louis. Gossip and scandal, eh? I know it's all over town, isn't it? But I've a story to tell you, Frank. We hasn't got far yet. It only happened today. What? What? What is it, Louis? I was turned out of my club for cheating at cards. Louis. <laughs> Sounds like a cheap novel, doesn't it? But it was great. You should have seen them, Frank. Gentlemen, honest and true, shocked to their very souls. It would have been bad enough if I'd merely cheated. But what rocked them was that I stood up and laughed out loud, ridiculed them to their self-righteous faces. And then I stood there and looked into their eyes. And they were silent. They were frightened. They felt the power that was in the room with them. I despised them. And when I turned on my heel and walked out, they sat there in a dumb and terrified silence. Oh, Frank, the power, the elemental power. I never saw him again. Until a week ago. If you were at the inquest, you heard my evidence. But to no court on earth, to no human being, could I describe the sound that filled the street and woke me from sleep that ghastly morning. I ran out of the house in my pajamas, out into the street, and the policeman on the beat had heard it too, and together we burst open the door into Louis' house. The screaming had ceased a moment before we gained entry. He was there in the hall, dead when we reached him. Both jugulars were severed and torn. It was dawn, early and dusky, when I got back to my house next door. Even as I went in, something seemed to push by me. Something soft and slimy. It could not be Louis' imagination this time. Since then, I've seen glimpses of it every evening. I'm awakened at night by tappings. And in the shadows of my room, there sits something more substantial than a shadow. my room, there sits something more substantial than a shadow. That is the end of the statement Dr. Ashton dictated to me, Inspector. Exactly uh, when did he give this statement to you, Mr. Sayers? He finished dictating about an hour before I met you here in his house. Were you the first to get there? Yes. One of the neighbors summoned a constable, but it was five minutes before he arrived. Will you tell me exactly what happened? Well, I heard a terrible cry. It seemed to fill the street. It must have been like the one he describes that he heard the night Dr. Fielder died. Were you awake? Yes. I was reading over his statement. 
Immediately I heard the screaming, I dashed out onto the street and made for his house where it was coming from. His housekeeper was standing at the open door, speechless with terror. I pushed by and made my way to his study. Where was Dr. Ashton? On the floor in the study. He could have been dead at the most two minutes. There was no need to make an examination. I could see his throat from where I stood. Both jugulars were severed and savagely torn. Theater 1030 has presented The Thing in the Hall, a tale of the supernatural by E.F. Benson, in radio version by Alan King, starring Henry Comer as Dr. Fielder and Chris Wiggins as Dr. Ashton. Alfred Gallagher was heard as Sayers, Alan King as the police inspector, and Cease Montgomery as Miles the medium. Sound effects were by John Sliz. Technical operation... Fred Park. Theater 1030 is a CBC Toronto presentation. This is Bill Lorne speaking. Up on CBC Radio 1, 5.40 a.m. in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, 90.9 FM in Flin Flon, Manitoba, and 90.3 FM in Sarnia, Ontario. Hello again, I'm Colleen Leung, filling in for Bill Richardson. It's time for the Mystery Project. This week, a story that's all about the subtle question of guilt and innocence. It's set in a laundromat, a rather unremarkable setting, but it does make it the perfect spot for whispering stories that might otherwise not see the light of day, airing one's dirty laundry, so to speak. Maurice Denham and Rosemary Leach star in A Cry, Almost a Scream by Jane Beeson. Lift up the lid and put in the powder. No, no, not the front, the top. Measure the powder in the bleach cup and tip it down the centre. Right. Thank you, I've got it now. Like a child she is. You tell someone like her the same things time and again and they still get it wrong. Been waited on all her life, I shouldn't wonder. Close the lid. Yeah, that's right. Some people can't do nothing for themselves, can they? Some of them that comes in here each day comes in with the same pile of things. It ain't cleanliness that they're after. It's talk. Talk? Hmm. Having someone to chat to. Now look at those two sitting with a chair between them. They've been coming in the last four Mondays to meet. Ooh. Every Monday? Well, that's what I said. This must be the fourth time I've seen him come in. She's been coming in on and off for years. A lot older than she looks. That's what she is. And him? Oh, an odd one, if you ask me. Another of them that don't never learn. She tells him what's what and does it for him. Oh, he's reading his paper. That's what he wants us to think. 
A lot of them comes in here and takes out a book or paper, but if there's anyone else in the place, they don't do no reading. It's no more than a cover-up. They comes in here for the company, I'm telling you. In the house next door to ours, there's a couple I hear at night. That is to say, I hear her, because she cries out. Quite loudly sometimes. Though you couldn't call it a scream. It's disturbing. Makes me glad I'm not on my own. There's Tom's along the passage, and Anne's room's next door to mine. Oh, they're only kids, of course. Well, teenagers, I suppose you'd say. Tom's 21 and Anne's 19. Oh, it seems silly they've got the vote. Nowadays, kids don't take notice what you say, no matter what their age. So what's the difference? Mm. Funny you should say that. What? Well, about the person next door, you know. In the house next door to mine, there's an old man I hear humming through the partition. Oh, what does he hum? Well, nothing really. You couldn't say it had a tune. <laughs> He's got some odd ways, you know. Every morning, he walks out of his front door, locks it, goes in his lavatory, locks it, comes out of his lavatory, locks it, unlocks his front door, and goes back in his house. He was a lighthouse keeper. The grandfather was on the Wolf Rock. That must be a life out there on the Wolf Rock. Just imagine it with a storm and 40-foot waves and the tower swaying. And all those ships. Ships? Yes. I don't quite follow them. All of them coming and the light gone out and nothing you can do. <laughs> oh, you've too much imagination. Accidents rarely happen these days. Oh, that may be what you think, but it's not the case. No, it's not the case at all. Now, this person I was telling you about... The one that uh, cries. Mm. She fell going down to the basement and slit her leg on the iron palings. They had to ring the ambulance. They? Well, he did it, I suppose. Her friend called the ambulance and went. Anyway, 20 minutes later, there it was, blaring its siren and waiting. Then there was a game. They couldn't get the stretch around the spiral. There she was, poor thing, bleeding something awful. Out of blood everywhere. I presume they succeeded, uh, finally. Succeeded? Uh, in getting her up. Oh, yes. Yes, they did. And she's all right now? Ah, that's what I wonder. I haven't heard her scream since she's back. Which leads you to suppose that she mightn't be all right, hmm? No, that's not what I said. I said it makes me wonder. Well, for that matter, I haven't heard the old fellow hum for some days, but I don't jump to the conclusion that he's dead. Well, how do you know he's not? I mean to say, it's odd, isn't it? If he stops humming, just like that... Well, it'd be odder, really, if he stopped going to his laboratory. But he hasn't. Oh. Well, now you come to ask, huh? I'm not really sure. I think that I heard him come out of the front, go in the laboratory, lock up and so on and so forth. But perhaps I haven't. Perhaps I've just imagined it happening every day because it happened that way for years. What about the humming? You haven't imagined that. No. No, I haven't imagined that. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? Hmm. 
that you haven't imagined that. I haven't imagined that. Well, perhaps he goes on going to the toilet, but he's just stopped humming. It's possible, but... No, it's highly unlikely. I mean, people don't change, you know, at that age. Oh, you mean because she's younger, she may have stopped screaming. Oh, you hadn't told me she was younger, yes, if that's the case. No, I don't think it's likely at all. Every other way, she's the same. In the morning, she shakes out the mop because I find the fluff collected in the basement. And she opens the door to take in the cat's milk because I hear it. Then in the evening, he comes back. He? Her friend. The one I said before. You've seen him? Oh, I don't see it because now the evenings have closed in. It's dark when he gets home. But I hear the gate click and his feet coming up the concrete. Well, what about the mornings? He's gone off early. He goes out the front, so I wouldn't see him anyway. So you can't be sure? Can't be sure of what? Well, that he comes and goes. Well, I can't be sure, but, but I'm almost certain. Yeah, but not sure. Well, it seems to me I'm a lot more sure of my facts than you are of your old man. You hear one thing and not the other. I mean, I'm consistent. Oh, true. Well, then, why don't you believe me? We've got to consider the facts. The fact is that you no longer hear crying, screaming. But what if I don't? It doesn't mean anything, does it? Except she's shut up. I mean, what could it mean? <laughs> please, uh, please don't get worked up. It was you who volunteered the information in the first place, and I, I got the impression you wanted to talk about it. Hmm. Uh, how about the kids? Hmm? Mine? <laughs> who else's? I've told you. Tom's 21 and Anne's 19. And that they don't take notice of what you say? Mine are no different to other kids. Oh, naturally not. I wasn't suggesting it. Jim, the one who lives with me, he's not their father, see. It's hard on a woman to be left on her own with kids. Hmm, certainly. Hmm, certainly, you said. And what do you know about it? My mother was on her own with me. Were you an only one? Yes. That's funny, so was I. I think it makes a difference, don't you? Being on your own? Yeah. No one to play with, just older people always talking about things you hear and remember without understanding. I always wanted a sister. Uh, so did I. <laughs> oh, you should have wanted a brother. Oh, go on. Girls have got more to say. Who'd want a kid brother sitting sucking his thumb all day? Still, you got married. <laughs> of course I did. What do you expect me to do? Go gay. I merely meant that you felt able to marry in spite of your dislike for the male sex. Felt able? You mean I was collared by one? Got hooked young before I was old enough to know better. We had the two kids and then he left me. That's men for you. You know why he left me? He said I wasn't the same after two kids. I wasn't so good anymore. <clears throat> you seem to have been unlucky. <clears throat> unlucky. Mister, don't you ever say things clearly? Say what you mean? <coughs> I was um, trying to remember about the humming. Pardon? Well... Whether perhaps it's I that can no longer hear the humming rather than the humming which has stopped. Are you suggesting that it is me who can no longer hear the screaming? No, I was talking about myself. I know a scream when I hear it. 
I thought you said it was a cry, almost a scream. I know a scream when I hear it. Well, it's probably easier to tell. What is? Well, a scream than a hum. But a hum is very pervasive. Well, this one was. I couldn't imitate it, but I'd know it anywhere. It must have been eerie, wasn't it? How do you mean? Listening to that old buster through the partition every morning. I'd be glad if he was gone. Oh, I shouldn't have thought it was as bad as a scream in the night. Wasn't that kind of scream? I told you. It was more of a cry. Well, whichever it was, you're worried because you no longer hear it. I got used to it, see? Hmm. Well, your kids must be company. Different for me, I'm on my own. Kids are grown and gone. There's nothing left in their beds but a teddy bear and a rag doll. I like to pretend they're still home with me. But the truth of it is, they're gone. Hmm. If you want to know the truth... Yes. He's stopped going to his laboratory... I don't understand what you mean. Well, I, I don't mean anything except that he's stopped going. But you've heard him. Well, I've heard someone. I've tried and tried to see him. I've been down at dawn and waited for him, but when I'm there, he, he never comes. And as he doesn't harm, I... It's unlikely to be your old buster. Mm. Mm. When did you last see her... And I went across one night to ask for a box of matches. There wasn't anyone in the kitchen, so I went in, called up the stairs. No one answered. And I thought I heard a bed creak. I went up. There was a light showing under the door. The bed creaked again, and I heard a voice speaking low. I sat down and waited. In a few moments, I could tell someone was getting out of bed, so I squeezed back into a dark place where the wall ruts out and waited. A minute later, he walked out the door. He passed right close to me and went down the stairs. Her friend? Jim. Hmm? Oh. I waited till he was clear of the house. I went into her bedroom. She was lying on her back. Very still, staring at the ceiling. When she heard me, she didn't move, except for her eyes. She lowered them to look at me straight. What you doing, I says, with a man who ain't yours? She didn't answer, just stared at me, not moving. I took a step nearer the bed. Well, I says, what have you got to say for yourself? She still didn't answer. All the hate rose up in me and I stood gazing down on her. Hating her and looking round for something to hit her with. I saw she was crying. It didn't make me like her anymore. It made me curious. So I said, what are you playing at anyway? You've got your old man, haven't you? Or are you just a tart who likes stealing others? Then she was out of bed quick, like a cat she came for me. She grabbed me either side on the shoulders. I could feel her nails sticking in me. Get out of here, she says. Go on quick or I'll kill you. Her face was as close as can be to mine. I'll kill you, I says. You just try, she says. You try. I could smell her, the sweat of her. And her hair. 
Yeah, though there was a space between us, I could feel her. I could see quite sudden what Jim saw in her, because I could feel her like a man must. All that soft hair, the force of her. I don't like him anyway, she says. You take him back. He's a cruel brute at that. Take him back if you can, she taunts. And I just stand there, gaping at her dark, swollen eyes. Mm -hmm. I went out the room and out the house, back across the yard into my own bed. I lay awake till Jim come in. He got in bed beside me. But I never said nothing. And you didn't hear her scream that night, huh? No. And the next? Yes. I think that needs more helping. Hmm. No. I've asked myself before now why it is we both do our washing on a Monday. Ah, well, my mum always did her washing Mondays, so I suppose that's why I always do, too. Unless there's something to stop me. And there usually isn't. Hmm. You know, I, I was grateful that first time when you came and showed me how to set the dial. I, I didn't want old laundry mum to start her shouting. <laughs> I noticed you didn't seem familiar with the machines. Right. Hey, tell me about Jim Nat. Hmm? The one that hums. Oh, well, <laughs> not much to tell, really. Oh, go on. No. Every morning, he'd, he'd be outside his door, standing, passing the time of day with anyone who came along the street. Morning, he'd say, morning, my dear. All right, then. All right, are you? How are you, Harry? They'd say. All right, he said. All right. And it, it, it was the same with me. Every time I passed, we made the same exchange. Only sometimes it was afternoons, sometimes nights. And then, one day, he caught me on the way home drew me over his threshold. An unusual step for Harry, if you'll pardon the pun. Mr. Arkwright, he said. Yes, Harry, I said. It's about my wife, he said. She was always fond of lilies, he said. Those ones I grow in my garden outside your parlour window. Yes, I said. Well, he said, drawing me closer and breathing loud. Someone came last night and picked 18. Picked 18. This morning there was two left. Yes, but... Harry, I murmured, you don't imagine it to have been me. He looked impatient. No, no, he said, no, you got me wrong. It's a garden gate left off the catch that I'm asking you about. Someone went out the gate last night and left the gate off the catch. Well... I, I knew then there was no escape. I had unquestionably made possible the callous rape of 18 lilies. Don't ask me why, but I didn't want to admit it. No, I'm convinced, I said, that I, I fastened the catch. I'm sure of it. And he just went on staring at me, grinning slightly, rocking on his heels. Well, I'm very sorry, Harry, I said, but I can't be held responsible for your lilies because they're outside my window. Mm. And then, then he turned nasty. You, he said, the likes of you don't take no care of the place. You leave the gate off the catch and your litter lying around my path. 
It's my right away along the back to my toilet, I'll have you know. You must have seen it in the deeds when you bought the property. If my wife were alive, I don't know what she'd say. I'm sure she'd never have tolerated it. Oh, a real old codger, he sounds. Well, after our quarrel, I couldn't bear him to see me. I didn't dare use our shared right of way through the garden gate. Neither did I like to walk past his front door in case he should catch me again. I, I went to great lengths in using devious methods of entry, particularly to avoid the risk of a further confrontation with Harry. It was at this point that he stopped humming. Didn't you hear him talking to people in the street, same as ever? No. From the time of the lily theft, he stopped talking. You might say he withdrew, retired back over his threshold and ceased to cross it, except when bent on his duties, so to speak. Now, what I ask myself is, was I responsible... I used to sit on the edge of the bed laughing at the preposterousness of the idea. I mean, the idea that because I had left the gate off the catch, I had changed, Harry. It changed is the word. To hear him shifting round through his partition but not humming, it was uncanny. And then one sunny afternoon I'd been to the post a letter. I came back down our road, and there was Harry standing just in front with his back to me, locking up. Well, it had knocked me right off balance. It was his nap time, you see. But the day was different. He was locking up at three o'clock in the afternoon. Turned round, and there we were, face to face. Oh, I've had a bit of trouble with my legs, he said. Oh, dear, I say, I'm sorry to hear that, Harry. Do you remember a while back, he said? Them boys come in my garden, took my wife's lilies. Yes, Harry, I say. Well, he goes on, that's when it started. I wanted to know what had happened to my wife's lilies, see, so I asks a few questions among my friends, and I, you know what I'd done? And he grips hold of my arm. No, Harry, I say. I'd been and forgot Millicent's funeral. She was my wife's best friend, God rest her soul. So, I goes up top of the hill to the church to see where they laid her. It was a stiff climb, mind. Oh, it was a stiff climb. But when I got there, the first thing I seen was my wife's lilies. No. Huh? The grave was thick with them. I counted all 18 of them, and I thinks to myself, my wife, she'd have been pleased. Oh, I'm so glad, Harry, I said. I, I was trying to edge away. Oh, I don't mind telling you, he says. The hill took its toll on me. <laughs> yes, it did. It took its toll on me. I shouldn't have liked to meet the doctor going up the hill. You keep on the flat, Harry, he said to me before now. You keep on the straight, lad. Now, in his hand, he was holding a bunch of chrysanthemums. And it suddenly dawned on me that he was going up there again. I knew then... I should offer to take those tatty tomcat-sprayed chrysanthemums and deposit them on Millicent's grave instead. I just stood there. Well, I, I must get on, he says, while they're fresh-picked, and he shuffled off down the street. Oh, hold on a minute hmm? while I put my towel in the dryer. Uh, Looks like we've got this place to ourselves today. Well... Go on, 
tell me the rest? Well, what is it to tell? Well, you've got to finish now. You've got to tell me the end. Oh, well... I remember going in the kitchen and slumping down on the chair. I, I was dripping with sweat. What happened then? What happened to him? You know what happened. You know as well as I do. Uh, his heart, was it? Collapsed. Halfway up the hill. They found him lying with his golden chrysanthemums spread all across the road. Mm. That makes two of us, doesn't it? What? Two of us. Guilty. You're not guilty, as you put it. Yes, I am. It was me caused her to fall down the basement. She heard me coming when Jim was there, and she was trying to hide herself. The bleeding wasn't palings. It came on after. It was a miscarriage. She stayed down in the basement for fear of spreading blood in the house. Jim was beside himself. I never went down to help. That was the last time I saw her. Not what I told you. Was it Jim's? Yes. I tried to stop her having Jim, not because I wanted him, but because I didn't want them to enjoy each other. He used to come in nights and lie beside me, and I didn't want him. I wished I could hear her screaming and know he was with her. Honest to God, I wished I could. I'd lie there wanting Jim to get up and go to her, and I wouldn't need to feel guilty anymore. I killed something, same as you. Jim's never made me scream. He don't know how to be cruel to me. Oh, God, if Jim could just have made me scream once. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I think my stuff will be ready now. <sighs> Mine will be finished, too. Would you... Would you care for a cup of coffee? I mean, we could have one together. I don't think I will. Oh, well, I thought perhaps as... Well, you sized up the situation all wrong. I'm no one's easy date. Well, I didn't mean that. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I just meant that... I keep to myself. I can see I've talked too much. I've given you ideas. I was at school with Jim, if you want to know. He was just a kid when I was in the top form. Ours was no easy come, easy go set up. I was like an older sister to him then. And that's why he started coming round when Bob left. And now Jim's left too. I didn't tell you. No. You didn't tell me. Well, you know it now then, don't you? Mm. I'm on my own. Mm. You like it that way? No. No, I don't. What woman does? Oh, some of them may pretend to, but you don't want to listen to them. How about you, then? How do you get along? Mm, well, some of the time I make out when the fire's going and the curtains are drawn. Uh, but then again... Yes. Who 
Who's in the cottage next door to you? Hmm? Now your old man's gone. Oh, it's empty. That's the worst of it. Now they let for tourists in summer, but all winter it stands empty. Would it be cheap? I'm sorry? The winter rent, would it be cheap? Oh, yes. Yes, very. I need a small place. You said it was small. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. It's it's one cottage divided into two, you see. I might come along. Hmm? Have a look. My place is too big for me. The council want me out. They want me to go. It's a good idea. When would you come? Well... Time to go now. Come along, you heard me. Mm. Tomorrow I could come. Tomorrow afternoon. Or even in the morning. Well, the morning. The morning would suit me better. Now, hurry up, please. Time to close now. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Thank you, madam. See you next week. You've been listening to The Mystery Project and a play called A Cry, Almost a Scream by Jane Beeson. Maurice Denham and Rosemary Leach starred as the two protagonists. The production was by Cherry Cookson. The coordinating producer of The Mystery Project is Barry Morgan. The executive producer is Bill Howell. Listening to CBC Radio 1, 91.5 in Ottawa. That's the show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd. Or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. And if you want to drop me a line, say hello. Give me a suggestion, a request, a, even a critique. Please feel free to email me at radioshownerd at gmail.com. I also have a YouTube channel, Terror Radio. Please check it out. Subscribe. Like the videos. Highly appreciated. In fact, on Saturday, in a segment I call Sinister Saturdays, I will be featuring the classic 1981 horror film, A Ghost Story, starring the great Fred Astaire in his final role, Melvin Douglas, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., and John Houseman. So please check it out. Again, this is your host, Keith, aka the Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>